we are so glad to have you out today on this Palm Sunday. And uh, worship team, thank you. I um, want to just let you know of a couple things. First off, tonight at 6 o'clock um, in the Fellowship Hall, we have uh, our men's group meeting, and Isaac's going to be leading us into some uh, different uh, things dealing with uh, Palm Sunday and some of the things leading up to the resurrection uh, of Christ, and so it's going to be a great time of discussion um, and some very insightful pieces. So bring your uh, snacks out with us and come out and worship with us uh, tonight. Uh, it's going to be a great time. And uh, also, next Sunday is Easter, right? Amen. How many is excited about that? All right. Um, I am so glad, buddy. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so um, we have these nice little business cards that have done up for the church. And uh, Missy had uh, asked about if we had any type of cards to hand out. And uh, we used to years ago, but we've been out. And so with our new logo and everything, we, uh, we got together and Willie helped us uh, put this together. Um, so we have these nice business cards for the church. Um, they just have the church information on it. And then on the back, is a place that you could write a little note to someone. And my, uh, my challenge to you is for every one of you to pick up like five cards to start with at least. Some of you, hey, go hog wild on this. Um, we bought a 1,000 just in preparation for you. Um, but I'd like to challenge you each to invite five people to church this week for this coming Easter time. You know, Easter is the... Uh, is the, the most attended service here in the United States. Um, second is Mother's Day. Um, so we, we know that. So um, we have a perfect opportunity to invite people to church. And I want you to take it seriously to invite five people as you're out and around this week in the community. Um, invite them to church and it's going to be a, a wonderful time. I just uh, take it as a, uh, as a thing that you can actively participate in building the body of Christ. And they have proven that more people will um, start attending church on a regular basis when they have a personal invitation from an individual, from a person. You know, we do the Facebook stuff and we do promotion in other areas, but the number one way to grow a church is through personal invitations. So I encourage you today uh, to do that and to invite some people uh, to service next Sunday. And then also, I uh, just want to say a big thank you to all the people that came out yesterday to work. Um, we got so many projects done. We've got some more projects left to do uh, this week. Uh, someone asked me, did we get everything done yesterday? My list was too comprehensive for everything. It wasn't planned to get everything done yesterday. We, we, have, we have lots of things throughout the church that need attention, and, and over the next month or so, we're going to work to get all those done. Some of them, the, you know, as the weather warms up, we're going to be able to work on them a little bit more. But we're going to get all the little things done that we can, um, and some windows painted and some things like that that need it. And so, um, so the, no, the work is not all done. So rest assured, if you were unable to come yesterday, there's still an opportunity for you to serve. 
but I am just so thankful for all those that were out. We, uh, we had, you know, somewhere like 25 people by the time it was all said and done that came out yesterday and were working in some area. We had kids. We had as young as, you know, four-year-old. Well, I could say Isaiah. He was being carried around while people were picking up sticks. So, you know, uh, eight months old and up, you know, we had people out there and uh, picking up. Oh, Evie was out there too. And how old's Evie now? Five months. So, looky there. She was out there in her, in her little cart there, you know. So, we had a lot of people working. And it was a great time, and so there's more projects to do. But I just want to say thank you to all those that came out and uh, have helped out throughout the, uh, the week just getting things ready, and we'll have uh, more projects that you can participate in for, as you're available. So, yes, ma'am. Here, come up here and use this mic because some people can't hear you, especially nobody online. Come on. Miss Elaine, come on. I just wanted to say that, you know, our saying says loving God, loving people, and it is true. This congregation here is the super great. I mean, their ways, and I felt the love yesterday. I found out I can't work like I used to. Found that out. I'm, I'm better in the kitchen. So the other part goes. But I had a great time. It was fun, and People were so good. They, I did it. I did felt the love of Jesus here. So I just wanted to tell you, if you haven't come before, come the next time because it's a, it's a good fellowship, and it really was super good. Amen. <laughs> Miss Elaine was out there crawling on her knees on the concrete, uh, scraping windows, and she, she said, why in the world did I volunteer to do this? She said, I'm unvolunteering, so... I said, that is perfectly all right. And so then she got involved in doing it. And she has, she has lots of ideas, and I love that. And Elaine is not shy about sharing her ideas. And she feels guilty sometimes. And I said, don't you ever feel guilty about sharing your ideas. We want that level of involvement. So thank you, Miss Elaine. Um, Praise God. I'm excited for today because Pastor Willie is going to come and bring our Palm Sunday message. And uh, I'd just like to thank Willie. He, he really helped organize a lot of the things yesterday. He, he did pictures throughout every, you know, the whole property, making sure we had all the different things. He just did a wonderful job in those areas. But uh, uh, thank you, Pastor Willie. Come.
Amen. And that's what Holy Week is a celebration of, the transformational power of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Um, and if it doesn't help you, it'll help me. I hope you're okay with that. Can we all stand just for a second, if you're able? All right, don't get weirded out. Kind of just shake it off. Come on. Can you do that? Come on. See, at least you're smiling and laughing. Now turn around, give somebody a high five, and said, well, if that didn't help me, it helped him. All right, and then you can be seated. Um, just felt a little tight. So, so I hope you caught that. So today we are going to be, we're in a series of Coming Alive, and today is, we're going to do the life-changing journey, talk about being above and beyond Christ, and then Friday, instead of having a uh, a Good Friday service here. That will be online, and Pastor will have that message online Friday, so be looking for that. And then next Sunday will be Easter Sunday, and everybody's excited about that, it sounds like, right? Amen. Awesome. So if you go out to eat today, this is, a, this is, this is I'm going to help you with one of your five, right? This is a great thing to leave if you are also leaving a tip if you do not leave a tip, do not leave our business card, please. A, a good tip, Paul says. Yep. And it'd be, you know, just on the back, you could write, hey, great service today. Thank you. Join us for our service on Easter, right? That, something as simple as that. If you um, have somebody you want to send a little larger card to, you can see Pastor. He has some little larger postcards that will allow you to write more, Elaine. Just for you. I know. We get, we get cards from Elaine, right? And she writes in them, and it's such a, such a wonderful blessing. Hey, we are going to be looking at Matthew. If you have your scriptures, you can turn there, Matthew 21. It will also uh, be on the screen, but that's where we're going to be here in just a few moments. So as we look at Holy Week, one of the big things is that um, Holy Week, this triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, is listed in all four Gospels. All four of them. So it's a pretty important day, and it's a pretty important time that Christ wants to convey some things to us, and hopefully today we are going to learn a few things. Uh, his journey did not begin on that day. His journey to the cross uh, did not begin at his uh, entry into ministry. It did not begin at Bethlehem when he was born. It began way before it was in the heart of God. Even before the foundations of the earth, the scripture says, the lamb was slain in the heart and the mind of God. So Jesus' purpose was much bigger when he came here than just uh, this plan to establish a little kingdom. In fact, his was a big kingdom. He was looking at the creation of the world and all that uh, he had made. And so Jesus's ride into Jerusalem was going to be far above and beyond what uh, those who were there celebrating even knew. It was even, as we will see, far beyond what his disciples knew. You see, Jesus's journey wasn't about the immediate circumstances, and that's something to, uh, to keep in mind. Many of the people, and probably most of the people who were there that day, they were thinking about what is happening now. It was an immediate circumstance, right? It's the same kind of thing that you and I get caught up in. Sometimes we get pushed into prayer, not just for the fellowship with God, because, but because there's an immediate circumstance that we need God. Anybody ever been there? Right? Hopefully regularly, right? 
there's this immediate circumstance, but Jesus was looking beyond that immediate circumstance, something that would impact all of eternity. His journey was not just about the swirling of dust that was going on in Jerusalem. It wasn't about just palm branches being waved. It wasn't about just this. The true significance was in the spiritual realm because Christ was doing so much more. And so while today we mark that triumphal entry, Jesus' journey is not even about the approval that we give looking back at that day. It wasn't about the cooperation he got. It was obedience to the Father, the fulfillment of his plan for redeeming the world. So as we go throughout this week and, and you think about what's coming up at Easter and you think about Good Friday, keep in mind that all of this Jesus was doing not just for that week, but he was doing and fulfilling a plan for all of eternity. And it just so happened that your name was written on his heart for all of that eternity. Isn't that good news? That's good news. Amen. Give the Lord praise for that. That's all right. If you clap and say, man, you're not going to scare me. We had talked about it this morning. Told him saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a bulldog. Right? We'll, we'll get going. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to look at three symbols that have been associated with the triumphal entry. And I hope from those three symbols, we can unpack those a little bit and we can learn a little, a little about those. So as we look at the events that happen in Jerusalem, here are the three symbols, symbols that help us remember Palm Sunday. First of all, there's a donkey and the donkey's colt. Uh, there's palm branches and some rocks or stones. So we are going to look at those three and what do they have in common or what do they mean? What is their significance? So everybody say, a donkey... Quit looking at your neighbor when you... Okay. Uh, say palm branches and rocks. We're going to rock out, right? Okay, so let's get started. These are pretty common, pretty common elements uh, to an uncommon journey of Jesus. They present the ways that he went above and beyond our understanding, above and beyond our abilities in order that we might come to know his life. So if you have your uh, handouts for this morning, I know there's several uh, places that you can fill in, and you can fill this one in. Our first symbol, we're going to deal with donkey dominion. Donkey dominion. Now, how many of you ever heard that before? Good, I'm original. Fantastic. Awesome for that. So let's talk about this a little bit. A donkey, donkey is most often associated with the trait of what? Stubborn. Stubbornness, yeah. Stubbornness. Right? And we could preach right there for a while, but we won't. But that's what they're known for. And when we think of Jesus making this triumphant entry, think about this, triumphant. Everybody say triumph. I, you know, that word just carries some power and majesty with it. When we think of him uh, making this triumphal entry into the holy city, the logical question that we might ask is, why a donkey? I mean, why would he do a donkey? Maybe it's just a practical matter, right? He's tired of walking. Donkeys walk all the time. Let's give him a ride. Well, what about a horse? He's a king. Don't most kings come in on a horse and a chariot? Yes. So we might think, well, that might have been a good kind of ride. I mean, that would show power and position. It would show strength and authority, right? Or what about a camel? He could have rode a camel. It kind of would have put him up high in the air, but... You know, maybe all the camels were gone at the rent-a-beast that morning, and so he had to just settle for a donkey. But this event, in its detail, was actually part of a bigger prophecy from the Old Testament. In fact, the prophet Zechariah, back in chapter 9, 
he said, he talked about this prophecy that a Messiah would come, and he would come riding on a young donkey. And so Matthew quotes this when he refers to Palm Sunday. Now think about something as we begin to read this, that all of those who were part of the Jewish family looking for their Messiah, they would have read and had known that the Messiah was going to come riding on a donkey. They would have been taught that, right? They would have understood that. Now, they're not going to capture all the meaning of that because they're looking for something a little different. But as we look at Matthew chapter 21, let's look at the first seven verses. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the and said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you just say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And here's the quote from Zechariah 9.9. Say to the daughter of Zion, Come see your king. He comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. So this idea of Jesus coming, riding on a donkey, was specifically what he wanted. Think about this. Jesus specifically asked for a donkey. He didn't ask for any other animal. He didn't ask for any other mode of transportation, right? He didn't want people putting him on the the chair that he's out and carrying him around on poles. He asked for a donkey specifically because he had a plan, and that plan was fulfilling Scripture. Now, when we come to this... And if it's all right if I just preach a little bit, say amen. Here's what I want you to know. That what might seem to us like a plan B, a practical solution to an immediate situation, was actually a specific fulfillment to thousands of years of promise. Think about this. We might see this as just the lonely donkey. We might see this as something that you had to do because you couldn't get what you wanted. This was this plan B. And sometimes to us, God seems like he is giving us plan B. Sometimes we don't understand what God is doing. But can I tell you that God has no plan B? Somebody say amen. What God has is a plan. And it is a plan to fulfill a promise. Maybe a promise to you, a promise to his church, a promise to the heart of the believer. So here's what I want us to understand is often what we see as plan B is derived from a divine seed. What we see as plan B is often derived from a divine seed. That is in the heart of God. He has made a plan. He has brought something from heaven, from all of eternity, and he has made it real into your life and to my life. And there are times that we don't always understand what God is doing. And we think, well, God, you promised me your best, but this doesn't look like your best to me, right? God, I would have done it a different way. Maybe the disciples were thinking, why aren't you on a horse? Why aren't you on something else? I don't think the donkey really fits who you are. But Jesus is telling them, there is a plan. I made a promise thousands of years ago through the voice of the prophet, and I am going to fulfill that. And as it would happen, that fulfillment, Jesus is proclaiming to be, listen, he is proclaiming to be the Messiah, the king of the world, coming in riding on a donkey. 
donkey. So when you and I see God's plan B, let us not make the mistake of thinking that he is just giving us the second best. Actually, when he comes in to my life and to my situation, even in a way that I don't think it's the best way or the way that I didn't ask for in prayer, Jesus is coming riding in declaring that he is king, declaring that he is the mighty one, declaring that he is the one who is king over every circumstance and over every problem that you and I might have. Not an earthly king, but he is something who is bringing a king for the story of God. His love is forgiveness, grace, and redemption. Somebody say amen. In fact, the same is true. This, what happened 2,000 years ago, is true in our lives. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, but God. Now, let me just stop there. You think, well, that's not a lot. Oh, that's a mouthful. But God. You see, he understood that the world might say one thing, but God. Your situation might say one thing, but God. The doctor might have one pronouncement, but God. Hallelujah. Your work may lay you off, but God. It might look like there's too much month at the end of the money, but God. But God, he says, has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to, wise, to, put to shame the wise. And he chose the weak things of this world to put powerful things to shame. So then, what the world thinks is worthless, useless, and nothing at all. Let me read that again. So what the world thinks is worthless. The world might look at me and use the term worthless. The world might look at the church and use the term useless. Might look at all of us and say they're nothing. But the scripture says that to the world, the things that are worthless, useless, and nothing at all is what God has chosen to use to destroy what the world considers important. I will tell you this, that you might sometimes feel like a nobody, but you're a child of the king. You might feel like you're in a circumstance that is worthless and useless, but when you have Jesus Christ come riding in, things begin to change. Somebody say amen. Jesus, when he comes riding into our situation, maybe he looks like he's riding on a donkey, but don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed or downcast. Don't be disheartened. Don't be depressed. Don't be dejected. You just might be getting ready ready to see some heavenly dominion ride into your situation and begin to turn that thing around. Do you believe it this morning? Amen. Somebody give the Lord praise if you will. I don't know. I thought that was pretty exciting to me. I was told my wife last night as I was reviewing this, you can just sit there. I'm going to preach to myself for a minute. And that's that first symbol. So when we think of the donkey, I want you to think of Christ coming in, and he doesn't have a plan B, but he's coming in with plan A, his very best. And even though when you don't understand it, he's got your best at heart. Amen? That's good news. Let's look at our second symbol. The second symbol is the palm branch. The palm branch of perception. I'm going to tell you what that means as we unpack this this morning. As we talk about this, it's probably the most recognized symbol of this event in history. So I want you to imagine, turn on the theater of your mind for a moment and imagine that you've loaded the family into the car. The kids are cheering, right? They're excited because they know something's about to happen. And they notice that you are driving towards the ice cream store. 
There should have been some hallelujahs or amens, right? You missed a perfect. And they know, and they're like, oh, yes, yes. Whatever, whatever that is for you. You know, a lot of people like Dairy Shed down here. Some people like Dairy Queen. You know, I'm a Cold Stone Creamery kind of guy. I like that place. Anybody there with me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lord's all in that, let me tell you. Um, so they're excited, right? Because you are on your way. They can almost taste the sweet goodness of ice cream. But surprise, you drive right past it. And the kids are all like, where are we going, right? I mean, they're just disappointed. You drive right past it, you get to the airport. And you're boarding a plane for Paris. And the kids should be ecstatic, but instead they're crushed. We didn't get ice cream, right? We knew we were getting ice cream. Here they are on a trip of a lifetime, but they were so looking forward to ice cream. Listen to this. It just wasn't what they expected. It didn't fit their idea of what should happen. Now you're there. You kind of got the picture, right? This gives us a glimpse into what happened that day and through that week to Jesus' disciples and to all of his followers beginning on Palm Sunday. You see, as he entered, there was cheering. There was excitement. Oh, this is what we've lived for. We are getting a Messiah. We are getting a king. He has arrived. They could almost taste sweet victory as Jesus rode into town. But let's continue in Matthew's narrative, starting at verse 8. A very large crowd, the scripture says, spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him, so in, in front and behind, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I mean, there, there was excitement around the streets that day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And questions arose and they asked, well, who is this? And the crowds answered. Look at their answer. This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You can kind of sense the excitement that's in this passage, in this scripture. As, they, as you put yourself there and kind of hear the crowds roaring and, and all the happiness and all the joy that's breaking out, and you just know something's happened. I mean, even if you were a visitor to that town, to that city from another place who had never heard of Jesus, you would know something big is happening. Something big is going down, and it's really, really exciting right? So the crowds wave their palm branches. The palm branches were a traditional symbol of victory. Everybody say victory. victory. Now think about this. The palm branch as a symbol of victory was used to begin to wave as Christ came in. So they were declaring victory. Anything wrong with that? Nope. That's a good thing to declare, right? We can declare victory in our lives. They spread their cloaks on the road for their new king. They could almost taste the sweet goodness of freedom. Why? Because finally their Messiah, their rescuer, had come. Finally, he was going to overthrow their oppressors. He was going to set up the perfect kingdom for the Jews. Right? Uh, no. Incorrect. This is why I call this the palm branch of perception. Because their perception of victory was different 
than the perception of the victor. Get that? Right? Jesus is the victor. Right? Uh, He wanted to take them far above and beyond just a trip to the ice cream store. Somebody say amen. He wanted to take them on a trip, (laughs) on an adventure, right? Let's not stop at the ice cream store. Let's go to the adventure of a lifetime. That's where he was heading. That's where he wanted to go. His victory was the ultimate victory over sin and death. It would be more than freedom from their current situation and their current oppression. It would be freedom for eternity. He was taking them above and beyond, and they couldn't see it because they were so focused on the immediate issue. His freedom would be a victory that restores all of creation, that makes a way for every person to have a right relationship with God. He would throw off defeat, he would throw off the oppressor of their souls, and he would bring them into a new place. But the magnitude of that victory was terribly misunderstood. They had the wrong perception of victory. The palm branches in their hand was great, but the concept in their heart was wrong. Let's read. Even the disciples of Jesus um, didn't get it. John told us this in John 12, 16. You can make a note there. It's, It's not on the screen, but I just want you to listen to this. At first, the disciples did not understand all of this. See, they didn't even get it. They had walked with him for three, three and a half years, and they still were missing this, right? Only, the scripture says, only after Jesus was glorified. So he was crucified, resurrected, right? And they saw him, and then they saw him ascend. He's glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. You see, it took them some time to see what was really happening because of the concept and the perception that they had. And I think that there are times that we fall into that same thing. We fall into the same pattern. That we have a different perception of victory than what the victor has, than what Jesus has. Right? And it's about us getting on the same page with him and understanding. So I've got a couple of questions just to kind of probe our hearts for a moment. What about you? What are you expecting from Jesus? Why don't you think about that for a second? What are you expecting? Here's the question Are you prepared for God's power and God's victory, God's way? See, that's the key. Right? We always say, are you ready for God's power in your life? Yeah! Are you ready for God's victory? Yeah! Are you ready for his way? Maybe. Right? Maybe. I I mean, I kind of want God's plan to line up with mine a little bit because I've thought about this a lot, God. You know? Some of us want to serve God, but only in an advisory capacity, right? We love letting God know where he missed it or what he needs to do or exactly how this needs to unfold. How about this? Are you willing to embrace the work of heaven in your life to go above and beyond the expectations you already have? Because here's what I have found. My expectations are usually woefully low of what God actually wants to do. Right? I have found that if my plans for life, if my plans for ministry, if my vision does not necessitate the involvement of God, it's wrong. It's the wrong plan. It's the wrong vision, right? If we have a vision for our church and ministry that we can accomplish ourselves, 
It's, it's the wrong one. Amen? Amen? Right. Our vision has to be one that makes it necessary for God to step out of, I'm using this phrase for our understanding, out of that eternal place and into the midst of where we are to make something happen. Your, your vision should drive you to your knees to an understanding that unless God gets involved in this, there's no way it can happen. But it should also help you understand that when God does get involved with it, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? Yeah. According to what? His riches and glory, not mine. So are you willing to embrace the work of heaven in your life to go above and beyond whatever expectation you think you have? And if you think you've blown it too too badly, you think that you've messed up too much, just go and look at the Apostle Paul's life who was killing Christians. Look at Peter. You know, Peter blew it probably daily, right? I mean, he had been, he'd been with Christ. He'd been walking with Christ three and a half years in the garden. You remember what happened in the garden? The good dude grabs his sword. He's going to cut somebody's head off, and good thing he's a bad shot, right, because he only gets his ear, Right? And so Jesus goes over and picks up the guy's ear and heals. Isn't that incredible? Peter, let me fix your problem here. You know, okay, we're good. Put your sword away and you can go. You know, you know can you imagine the, the, the centurion or soldier, whatever he was, he sees his ear laying there. It's like, think he's been in a fight with Mike Tyson. <laughs> ah, phew, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Right, Jesus picks it up and puts it. What, what are you thinking if Jesus comes over and picks your ear up and puts it back on and you can hear again? Wow, right? Were you expecting that when you woke up this morning? Nope, don't think so, right? It's just incredible. It's a sidebar anyway. All right, well, let's get back on, on, our, on our questions. Here's the big question. Will you surrender? <laughs> will you give up your ice cream cone to take a trip of a lifetime? Come on, will you surrender your hot fudge Sunday to go on an adventure with Jesus, Right? I mean, because we're like the kids. We're like the kids in the car. We see, we go, oh, God, I'm on an ice cream cone. And God says, no, I got a much better plan for you. I've got something bigger. And so often we're the ones going, God, what are you doing? What do you want ice cream, God? Come. And God's saying, no, 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 come with me, come with me. And so the question is, are you and I willing to surrender what we think we want in order to have what Jesus wants to give us? Amen. Boom, drop the mic. Right. I mean, that's awesome right there. And that's a question that each of us have to come to terms with in our own hearts. Amen? So that's what I want you to think of when you think about the palm branches. What is your perception? Are you seeing him for the king he is and the king he wants to be in your life? Or do you still have some concepts that maybe you need to tweak out a little bit? All right, let's move to the third one. Rejoicing rocks. Rejoicing rocks. That's easy connection and great song selection this morning. Thank you, Meredith and worship team. They did a great job. Thank you very much. Rejoicing Rocks. Palm Sunday is kind of this snapshot, and it represents a lot of Jesus' life, his love, his sacrifice, his commitment to the greater story, um, to God's ultimate work. When he rides into Jerusalem, he knows what's coming. He knew that he was going to die on a cross. He knew it. And he went there anyway, right? So he was committed. I, he had no, no, second, no plan B, right? This is what he's doing. He knew what was coming. Only days later, the same crowd that raises palm branches and yells, Hosanna, would raise a fist and say, crucify him. 
I mean, it's amazing. It's hard for us to kind of get our heads around that sometimes. But it's much of the same crowd, but yet it didn't change his purpose. I mean, Jesus knew that was going to happen. And in the moment, he had all the praise from people. And in a day or two, he was going to have the persecution of the same crowd. But it didn't change him. It didn't change his actions. Because his purpose was not dependent on the approval that he got from the crowd. His, his mission wasn't dependent upon whether or not somebody liked him. Right? It wasn't, a, it wasn't dependent on the praise that he got. It was dependent on one thing, and that was his commitment to the Heavenly Father. And he made it very clear. It's recorded in Luke's Gospel. The Scripture says this, And when he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. But here's, here's where we find a, a, a turn. Some of the Pharisees, they were in the crowd. That's usually not a good sign. And here are these religious leaders, right? Um, you, had, you had the Sadducees. They didn't, I mean, they didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. And the Pharisees, well, they believed in some miraculous stuff, so they were fair, you see. A little bit better. That, in Bible school, that's how I learned to remember that. Tell them apart. All right, so... They're in the crowd, and they're watching all of this, and we know that they already don't like Jesus. And here he is getting all this praise and attention that they are not getting, right? I, I mean, that, come on, this is really the key, right? They are jealous as jealous can be. Well, they decide, you know, well, human beings shouldn't get, be getting this kind of praise, and so they go to Jesus as if they have any right. But anyway, they, they go to him because, you know, they are the religious rulers after all. And they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. And, and we know from Jesus' response, that's what they were asking. You need to settle this crowd down. You need to put them in their place. We don't need all this hoopla going on. We don't need all of this praise and worship. Hello. We don't need people getting excited about Jesus. Sound like any modern day churches? Right. We need you to take these people who are excited about who you are and what you've done. They were celebrating his miracles where he intervened in nature and made something unnatural happen. And they're praising him. And this, here's these, we don't, we don't believe in that kind of stuff. Right? It's like people today, the gifts are gone. Just calm everybody down. No. No. N-O. Somebody say it with me. No. No. So here's what Jesus, Jesus says. Jesus looks at him and he says, let me tell you something. Right? Those are his words. I tell you. If he was here today, he would say, let me tell you something. Let me clue you in on a little unknown fact, that if they keep quiet, if they do what you want them to, if they are quiet, if they don't praise, if they don't do all of that, 
these very rocks and stones will cry out in praise. Right? Right? They keep quiet, creation's going to praise. If who I made to praise me, do you know you were made to praise? You were created to praise, you were created to worship, and every human being on earth worships something. Some people worship money, some people worship fame, some people worship themselves. We were all created to worship, and the only one who is worthy of that worship is who? Jesus, right. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is saying, listen, if they withhold, these rocks are going to cry out. Now you're talking about blowing the Pharisees' minds that blew their mind. And when you think about it, I mean, have anybody ever heard outside of the scripture about rejoicing rocks, praising rocks, right? Now I don't know about you, uh, but there are some rocks I have seen. I've seen painted rocks. Anybody seen painted rocks? Those are kind of cute. Painted rocks. Yep, little... Now there's one, those, this is just wrong. <laughs> I have a two-year-old. He would put these in his mouth, no doubt, right? And if somebody put them on bigger rocks, he would think he hit the jackpot, right? I mean, that's just something other, somebody's a good artist, something other wrong about it. That's painted rocks, heard of painted rocks. Let me, I'm just having some fun with this. How about pet rocks? Yeah? How many of you ever had a pet rock, Right? Some of you had a pet, a pet rock. So, so, you know, there's some Bengals fans. There's, there's your pet rock. And this. Now, I think this is a brilliant idea. And let me tell you why. Because kids always want a puppy. So here's the thing. Kids want a puppy. Parents don't want the job of cleaning up after it. Voila! This is a brilliant idea. This is what Luca will get when he asks for a puppy, Right? Because we all know how it goes. Oh, oh, I'll clean up after it. I'll make sure it's fed. And that lasts for nine days. If that, thank you very much. Right? And then we're doing it. So you got all this. So here's Jesus. Jesus comes to town. And, uh, you know, we've heard of this kind of stuff. But I think what Jesus was predicting. Are you ready for this, Elaine? You're going to laugh. I'm just, I'm just warning you. I think what Jesus was doing is he was predicting the first rock concert. There it is. Right there. Yeah? Come on, folks. I worked hard on that. That's funny right there. <laughs> Jesus says, these rocks will cry out, right? I'm going to give you the biggest rock concert you ever heard. If, if, if my people don't cry out, that's, this is what's going to happen. So I know I had a little fun with that. But the, the point Jesus is saying, you know, when you think of this, stones actually crying out, it seems impossible, right? That's his point. That is his point, that the importance of this day is all about all of creation, which he was bringing into the redemptive process. It's an amazing thing to think about, all of creation, which is held under the curse of sin, held under the curse of death. It will praise God. It will give its creator the due praise for him. It will work in such a significant way that God will lift the curse and he'll make a way of restoration for all the ultimate good that he made. The scripture tells us in Revelation that there will become a time when there is a new heaven and a new earth. So the very 
anything that is working in us that creates a new creation within you and within me, one day that is going to spread and God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth and he is going to do his restorative work. You see, it wasn't just about the moment. It's about all of this stuff that is too big for you and me to even imagine. Jesus' purpose was to offer this ultimate sacrifice, his life, so that everyone, all of his creation could worship God in freedom and in truth and that's good news. Somebody say amen. They see today, oh, we are in 2021. We have the privilege of hindsight. We have the privilege of looking back and we have the privilege of seeing what the disciples didn't see right away. We know the end of the story. They didn't, right? We, we understand that. We get that. And then as this week begins to unfold and we think about the the, the the journey that Jesus makes, and we think about his crucifixion, and, and it culminates with, with his resurrection. And as it begins to unfold, we are invited to come alive to him. We are invited to dedicate ourselves to the ways of God, to the ways that are above and beyond our own ways, right? Isaiah even mentions this, a scripture that's very appropriate for today. He says, speaking of God, For God declares, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So God just clues it in, and God says, Willie, on your best day, you're nowhere close, right? Right? On your day that you're most clear and you have the most brilliant ideas, your thoughts are not even near mine. Your plans cannot even compare. So what's he asking? He's asking us to surrender those things to him. I mean, that's what this moment is about. There is no doubt that God is above and beyond us in every way. Yet, from above and beyond, God sent his son. From above and beyond, he sent Jesus to the earth in a way that we would have never imagined, in a way that we probably wouldn't have planned if he had been asking us how to do that. Jesus came in humility. He sacrificed everything in obedience. And perhaps the most well-known verse that captures all of this is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's why he came. That's why he left above and beyond to come here and now and move in our lives. So if you're wondering maybe what this journey means for you, maybe if you're here today and that question's crossed your mind, maybe you're joining us online, maybe you're wondering, well, this all sounds good, but what does it mean for me? I don't want you to miss God's invitation. Don't miss his invitation. He loves each and every one of us, and he invites us on a journey into a relationship with him. It may be an unexpected journey for sure, and it probably will be a very surprising journey. But what was once impossible, as impossible as stones crying out, is now possible when you and I come alive to the life of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did, we can respond to the writer of Hebrews as he directed. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of needs. You see, that's 
the invitation. Let us approach God's throne of grace. And we can do so with confidence. Confidence not in us, not in what I've accomplished, not in what I've done, but in Him and who He is. If I could one more time ask you to stand with me. Just as Jesus entered that busy city thousands of years ago and entered into that final stage of his work on earth, I want us to invite him to enter our hearts, our lives, our every day. Not just Sunday. Invite him to be in your Monday and Tuesday, the rest of the days of the week. Invite him into a place and with our eyes totally open wide and our hearts full of gratitude, let's join him in God's ultimate work of restoration, healing, and true life. Because I think God is calling us above and beyond. Kate, if you could bring the slides back up to more than enough. I want us to sing this song together, almost kind of like an anthem. He is more than enough. He's from above and beyond, and he wants to take us above and beyond our expectations. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Lord, we thank you for this moment in time, and we thank you for what you have done, and you brought us to this place. Lord, in the next few moments, I ask that folks will invite you into their moment, into their presence, and that you will do a work in each and every one of us that takes us above and beyond. I want to invite you now to worship. You're welcome to come to these altars if you want to spend some time with Christ. Lift your voice. Let's sing together. Here on this holy ground, standing before you now, Jesus, you are more than enough. He's above and beyond. There's one thing I know.
Father, I thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. And uh, today I pray that you would bless this offering, uh, that you would uh, continue to do that which your word declares, that you would multiply it to meet the needs of the, uh, the vision, the things that you've put before us, the, to touch not only uh, those locally, but Father, um, around the world as we support different groups. And we just thank you. Bless each gift, each giver. We ask for this in your name. Amen. I want to thank you. Uh, just continue to remind you that this week um, you'll get our um, uh, link emailed to you. Um, so we're, you may get a text from me this week and say, hey, uh, I don't have uh, uh, your email. Because I need to be able to send this to you in an email. So if I, if I don't have your email address, then you're not going to get the link. And so we're, we've got all the, almost all the data imported into the system. Um, right now, we're just going through and making sure we have all the information. You'll get a link. And every individual will have a link, you know, a, an, informa an account on it. So that way, we can send that out to all the different groups that are in here. So we're, we're working on that. And uh, just be ready to reply on that. And... Um, uh, appreciate all of you and also um, don't forget tonight six o'clock goes to about eight ish nine ish you know depends on when people quit talking um, but we'll have a, a great time of fellowship there for men come on out god bless you